thing gets me all the time. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. It's been a few weeks since I did this, so I wonder if I remember how to preach. A number of years ago, there was a commercial that was quite popular with a catchphrase, can you hear me now? Some of you kids have no idea what I'm talking about. For Verizon, right? Most important thing for your phone, for your cell phone for many years was your signal, that it was good enough so you could hear. Your cell phone was used to talk with, not for games and apps and texting. I remember when I went to get my first cell phone in the late 90s, and I uh, went to an AT&T store, and when you shopped for cell phones then, you shopped for the best rate per minute. So when I went in, it was six and a half cents a minute, and I got a discount because my dad worked for General Motors to five and a half cents. It's huge, right? You, per minute. Now we don't even care. We don't even use our phones for, for calling anymore, right? It's, if you call me first before texting, you're in trouble. Phones then were meant for talking and for listening. How do you know if someone's listening to you? How do you know uh, that they have understood what you've said? How, how do you know if I have listened to my wife when she sends me to the store to get items for dinner? And she says to me, Jeff, I need tomatoes, lettuce, and apples. That's the list. How do you know if I've listened? Or if you instruct your kids and... They need to go pick up their toys or gather their laundry and put it where it needs to be. How do you know if they've listened? Or if, if you're watching football and the NFL coach tells the kicker not to kick the ball off to that guy because every time you kick it to that guy, he tends to do something that we don't like. How, how do you know that they've listened? They do what's said, right? That's how we know if they got it. You can find out really easy if your kids are listening, if they do what you ask. If I, if I listen to my wife, I will get tomatoes, lettuce, and apples, and not cookies. I will get what's on the list. I will obey the list. I will hear, and I will respond accordingly. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in the passage this morning. The passage we're looking at in Luke chapter 8 He's talking about our hearing that will affect our obedience. He's talking about listening to the word of God. Listening to God is, is not a passive thing, but it's an active thing. How you hear the word of God determines everything for your life. This morning we're going to uh, look at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through, oh, let's see here, 21. And... Uh, Here's the main idea. Here's the main thing that I want you to get. It should be on the screen here behind me. It says, those who do not hear and do not respond to the word of God fail the test of faith. The faith that unites us to Christ obeys what he says in his word. That is the main idea. Those who do not hear and do not respond to the word of God have failed the test of faith. The faith that unites us to Christ, we obey then what he says in his word. So there's two points that I have this morning. The first point, if you're, if you're taking notes, the first point is a much longer point, okay? Um, and we're going to dive in here. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read through 4 through 15. So have your Bibles open. If, if you're new to opening a Bible uh, and reading a Bible, the, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. Look at Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4. 
And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. When we come to this chapter, this section here, we, we come and great crowds are gathering to listen. And usually when a great crowd has gathered to listen, Jesus is usually the most devastating teaching. There's a great crowd now gathered to hear. And he begins with a parable. The word parable is from the Greek word parabole, which means literally that which is tossed alongside. It's implying a comparison, an analogy, an elaboration, or an illustration. The prefix for the word para is to come alongside of. And you get the word paramedics from this, who assist the physicians. And then the prefix is attached to the simple root bale, which, which means to throw. So a parable is something that is thrown alongside something else. C.H. Dodd has defined a parable as, at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Jesus is giving a parable to jolt the minds of his listeners, and he doesn't give a quick answer to them. There is no way you would understand what Jesus is saying if if all you heard was the parable. It would jolt you, but it wouldn't satisfy you. If you don't believe me, read verses 4 through 8 again, just by itself. Jesus implies that you need to get to the point. He says in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the point. But what's the point of the parable? If you think you know the point, it's only because you read later, you heard me read later, of what the answer to Jesus gave. But if, if you had read just verses 4 through 8, if all you heard was 4 through 8, you, you wouldn't know the point of the parable. You, you wouldn't understand. You would have to ask. If you don't believe me, take this set of circumstances, okay? I, I come into the kitchen on a glorious day and I smell a fresh batch of cookies on the countertop. What am I to make of this? There is no description for these peanut butter goodness. It's just there. Am I to assume that my wife and my girls made this for me because they love me? Or maybe they made it as a gift for someone else. It's not clear. It's not clear at all. And I'm confused by this. What what am I to do? 
and my mind is jolted by what I see. What should I do? And that's the way of parables. Parables also are, at least in part, an expression of judgment upon an unbelieving people. And this, in particular, is the unbelieving Jewish nation. Parables were designed to conceal truth from them because they had no desire to truly follow God. So they ignore it. And Jesus here gives a parable about planting seeds in soil. The, the sower and the seed remain constant through the parable. The main variable is the type of soil in which the seed falls. And that first reading may seem that the farmer is, is careless with his sowing of the seeds, but that's not what happened during this time. They, they would go out and they plow the, you would think they'd go out and plow the fields first, but that's not how they did it. On the contrary, the seed was scattered first, then the plow was brought across the land, plowing it into the soil. So Jesus isn't talking about a foolish farmer that doesn't know what he was doing. No, he's describing something very typical of their farming procedure. And something to understand, to establish right off the bat here of who he's talking to. Jesus is talking to this large group that is coming and following him to hear him speak. He did this earlier in chapter 6 when he was sharing a parable about building the house on the rock. And, and those that hear and, and do the words that he say will be safe. But those that don't hear, that don't obey, they will be what? destroyed, right? It'll fall apart. And just like in that story in chapter 6, here Jesus is talking to a crowd that's come to hear him teach. He's talking to people that have come, they want to hear religious talk. He's not out street preaching. He's not just out there casually with people just walking by that don't care. No, this is the congregation. They've gathered to hear him preach. He's talking to people who would attend a service. He's talking to a church. He's talking to you, to all of you. And he says, be careful how you hear the word of God. And why should you be careful how you hear the word? Because there's a certain kind of satisfaction that comes when you come into church or when you log online to watch. A satisfaction in our hearts and our hearts are factories of self-justification, self-righteousness. And you can become satisfied that you're sitting here. Like, I made it. I made it to church. I'm satisfied. Your, your mouth is closed for 40 minutes, listening to me talk about God and the Bible. I, I've did it. I, I've, I've done all that I needed to do this week. And it can bring a virtuous satisfaction. Like, I, I, that's it. Look at me. I made it to church. And Jesus warns you. He's warning you this morning how you're hearing the word of God. What you're doing with the word of God. You will answer one day in how you listen to the word of God. And Jesus is warning you today with these three types of soil. Because it's, it's super easy it's easy to sit and listen to a 40-minute sermon and come away like you've accomplished something. And going away from Sunday and not doing a single thing with the Word of God makes you like the first three types of soil that we'll look at. These three self-deceiving religious types here, and Jesus is warning. He's warning them and he's warning us. And so I want you to listen to these descriptions as you walk through this. Ask God for discernment about your own heart. So I'll read the description from the parable and then give the explanation that Jesus gives. So look at verse 5. 
A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Well, Jesus comes now later in verse 11 and gives an explanation. He says the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. In verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The first group here that he's talking about are those that are religious but are not saved. And you might come to church out of obligation or because your mom and dad make you. Or you might come just because you're fascinated. There, there, come, there are those that come every week because they like to hear the Bible explained. But they never truly trust Christ. And if that's you, my friend, I want you to know you are welcome here. Please don't stop coming. You are welcome every week to come here. You can always be welcome here. But I want you to believe. I'm not here for entertainment. I'm not here to preach so that you would like me. I'm here so that you would believe. And, and who, who takes away the word here, that Jesus' response? It's the devil. Nowhere, perhaps, is the devil more active than in a congregation of gospel hearers. Nowhere does he labor so mightily to stop the growth of gospel people than during the sermon of the gathered church. Don't be fooled for a second, friends. Satan would love nothing more than to disrupt you from hearing the word of God this morning. Perhaps that's why you had an argument on the way into service today. Perhaps that's why you're fixated and frustrated because you're having to wear a mask. Friends, those frustrations don't come from God. Do you know why you didn't want to wake up this morning? Do you know why maybe you're possibly grumpy being here? It's because Satan hates you. He doesn't want you to listen to God's word. Satan would love nothing more than for you to be so fixated in anything other than the word of God and to walk away from our time so that the seed of the word would be plucked away, vanishing to thin air. See, in this, it's not that these people have heard the word of God and believed it and then robbed of their faith. No, they never got it. Before they even had the chance to embrace the word, Satan is there to rob them. And he is active today, this morning, in our midst, and it takes work, my friends, to listen to the word. Well, these next two are even more dangerous. Look at verse 6. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And Jesus gives the explanation, verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. They hear it, and receive it with joy, Jesus says. There's a, a great outward emotion. They have professed to believe in God. And they have great joy, evidenced through great emotion and reaction. But this emotion, Jesus says, is shallow. It has no root in God. Friend, time will show us who we truly are. Don't be deceived by emotions that spring up quickly. Because emotions can be tricky and elusive. It's not that emotions are bad. They can be good, but they're not always reliable. They're like the winds for a plane that blow in the right direction, and it can make the trip better and faster. When they blow in the wrong direction, it can cause havoc. So we cannot rely on our emotions for our spiritual maturity. Your emotions can be very unreliable. 
Jesus says they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And some of you might believe that this means that they were saved, that they were a Christian for a while and they lost their salvation. But that's not what Jesus said. They weren't saved. They weren't saved to begin with at all. They acknowledged for a while, but they were never truly regenerated. They never had saving faith. And people can receive the word with joy, being impressed and overwhelmed with the gospel, perhaps even enthusiastic and, and witnesses for Jesus, and then walk away and never truly be saved at all. It's quite possible to feel great pleasure or even deep alarm under the preaching of the gospel and yet be utterly destitute of the grace of God. It's possible to get all excited for Jesus, to go out and buy a Bible and to decide that you're going to finally follow him and you're going to listen to Christian music now and you're going to come to church and join and, and attend Bible studies and now faithfully give and even tell people that you're a Christian and then a few weeks or a few months or a year later, walk away because it's hard. And friends, it's hard being a Christian. You'll be persecuted for following Jesus. You can be emotionally drawn to Christianity and never come to the Savior. And then the next example in verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And what does that mean? He says in verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. These thorns, these are positive trials. These are things that people long for in our world. They're the ones, they're the trials that people are begging for. God, please, please give me money. I can be trusted with lots and lots of money. Give me comfort. I want that big house and the nice car and the money just flowing in. And they, people want that. They go after that. And if you read in verse 14, you don't want that. At least you shouldn't want it. Getting everything you desire from this world without Jesus will bring a final judgment that you be crushed under. Some allow the things of earth to get such a hold of their minds and their hearts that they leave no room for the word of God to do its work. Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent enough when followed to excess become soul poisons that usher you to hell. Open and public sin isn't the only thing that ruins souls. Private and secret success can ruin you. He's saying this stuff, this, these things come in and, and take over and eventually Jesus gets squeezed out. These worries and riches and pleasures don't make a sudden assault. Rather, over a period of time, they simply ooze their way in and the choking is the last fateful step. Friends, gradual danger is hard to notice. Don't let the world lure you away with its faults and vanishing pleasures and riches. There are too many Christians who care too much for the ways of the world, about its power and wealth and politics and beauty and knowledge and technology and fashion. 
You know, in this world keeps on producing things for us to get into, to spend time in. But do you know one thing the world never encourages you to get into? The Bible. Ever. This world does not want you in the Word of God. It doesn't want you in the Bible. But I do. We do as elders. We want you in the Word. God wants you in the Bible. And as Christians, we should be known as Bible people who love the Word. This leads to the last soil here. So this is the one who hears and does the word of God. Look at verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then Jesus gives an explanation in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God has so prepared the hearts of some people that when they hear the word of God, they latch onto it wholeheartedly. They listen intently They read it constantly, and fruit comes, blossoms. But friends, it takes time. It takes time in the Word. A steady patience of waiting on God and following Him as we read the Word. J.C. Ryle said, Outward profession of Christianity and the formal use of church and its services never give a man or woman a good hope in life or peace in death or rest from this world beyond the grave. There must be fruit of the Spirit that accompanies our lives. And how does that happen? By steadily reading the Bible and by applying the Word and letting patience have its perfect work in your soul and life. See, patience is the key. If you underline anything, underline that, ver- that word in verse 15. Patience. We should have patience in this. And we should also, just a word of warning, show patience to acknowledge faith in others. Why? Because when we're quick uh, to recognize and to even publicize the faith in others, we can hazardly encourage self-deception. And I want to be cautious in this. See, patience is key. If someone is saved, if someone is really regenerate, if they've become new, there will be fruit, friends. And it may be slow, and it may be small, but there'll be fruit. And the best course of action is to slow down and to wait and see identifiable fruit. So what Jesus is telling us in verse 15 is, for that which is in good soil, they, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So immediate and quick results might appear, but our job is to wait and see. It's to be patient. Time is a marvelous qualifier. Time will reveal what we long to see. So I want to encourage you parents, okay, who are desperately preaching the gospel to your kids, keep doing that. But even at a young age, when they profess faith, just wait. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep centering their hearts and minds on Christ. But you need to wait. You need to discern and see fruit that it's identifiable. 
You need to wait on the Lord. Well, the disciples, they question here. They question Jesus. They didn't understand the parable, okay? They, they recognize that it's, that it's hard to understand. It was the end of verse 8. And so they asked the question in verse 9. And in verse 10, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. See, the disciples are, are right to, to ask about the parable. There's judgment in this parable. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6, 9, there in verse 10, to the effect that those who hear him in a physical sense never truly hear him in a spiritual sense. The sound of Jesus' voice reaches their ears, but the beauty and power of Jesus' words never reaches their hearts. These people hear Jesus, but they don't understand. And that's startling to me. In the 8th century B.C. in Judah, they had the word of God given persistently. And it was regularly rejected. So that God withdraws his word. You have no guarantee that you will get more opportunities to hear and read the word of God. This applies to you this morning. This might be the last sermon you ever hear. You might not be able to read the Bible again. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next breath. What will you do with the word today, this morning? Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening to the word? There's only one class of hearers in this parable that are going to heaven. There's only one group that Jesus talks about here that's right with God. Which one are you? Are you in that class, that group? The thing about God's word is that you must work to hear it. You have to tune your ear to hear God's word. You must train your appetite for it. There has to be concentration in order to understand it. So friends, when you come on Sundays, you need to come prepared to listen. You know, we publish the sermon text ahead of time on purpose. We want you to spend time reading through it every day the week prior. I do that for you. I do that so that you can be in God's word, growing and understanding before you come to hear it preached. So that when you come on Sunday, you've already dwelt on the text. You've spent hours in it during the week, no matter who the preacher is. And you're ready to absorb what God has for you when the word is preached. So we need to develop patterns to listen. And it takes work. If you're unsure, next week we're going to be, Lord willing, in Luke 8, verses 22 through 39. I think I've said this before. I make a note on my phone that I can see. Even though I'm the preacher, I forget the verses sometimes. i got to remind myself. And I'm in the Word not to study, but just to read. And we need to do that. We need to be prepared when we come in to hear God's word preached. Well, that's my first point. This is the final one, the second one. Take care, take care how you hear, verses 16 through 21. 
the lamp here that Jesus is going to talk about characterizes Jesus' teaching to the disciples, which serves as a, a light to broadcast the truth of God. And Jesus shares this short parable here to, to, to say that the four soils he just described are distinguished by how they hear the word and respond to Jesus' teaching. He says in verse 16, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who may enter see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, be made known and come to light. The light of God's word serves a few functions. It illuminates. It shows us the way to live. But it also exposes, Jesus says. It reveals what's going on. It reveals what once was hidden. Jesus wants us to understand the word. He wants us to understand what his, his word says so it be made manifest to us. It reveals the, us. It's, it's a light to us. But the light also brings those things that were once in darkness to be seen. Nothing you do or say will be hidden. All will be revealed. And that's a terrifying thought for those who want to hide their lives. You won't be able to. You will not be able to hide. Spurgeon said, you cannot conceal anything from the eye of God so do not try to do so. You are like bees in a glass hive, watched while you are working and your every moment observed. All those who are harboring secret sins for which you're not repenting of, those secrets will be made known. And I encourage you today to bring them into the light. We cannot blot out our sins by ourselves, no matter, no matter how desperately we want to do it. But there is one who can take away all of our sins. So that when we stand before God on that last day, we won't be judged for this life and cast out eternal judgment. There is one who took our sins upon himself. He took our shames and our, and our lies, and our deceit, and our failures to live up to God's way. And get this, we get his righteousness. That's unfair. He takes our sin, and we get his righteousness. And there's only one way to get his righteousness. Take your sin to Jesus and be covered in him. You come to him in faith, trusting in his death and resurrection to save you. So I implore you, friends, to turn to Christ this morning. He has been more than patient with you. Stop trusting yourself. Trust in him today. Don't continue to live in secret. Come into the light. There's freedom and joy coming into the light. And then Jesus gives another warning in verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. God is at work among those who hear God's word. Those who receive and welcome his word and will find that God gives them more light and more insight and more understanding. And while those that stiff arm his word will find that God takes away even what they thought they had. 
And I'm warning you, friends, from God's word, if you have no use for God's word, no real care for it, no hunger for it, his word will be taken from you. If you continue to despise the gospel, Jesus will hide it from you. And the more of God's word we hear, the more we receive. The more we neglect God's word, the more of it we lose. To hear more of God's word is to receive more of God. To hear less of God's word is to have what you have of God taken away. It is not like we can listen to the word once and live on that for the rest of our lives. I knew a pastor that was functioning on what he learned in Bible college. And he's just trying to survive on what he'd learned years earlier. And his spiritual life was dying and drying up. He's no longer in ministry. The same for you, friend. You have to keep replenishing the store, stocking the shelves of your heart so that you have something to feed on. You keep eating actual food, right? Anyone eat food normally? Just want to make sure you're still with me. Three squares a day, right? You don't just eat one meal a week. Some feel like that's all they need. They come in on Sunday for 40 minutes and it's going to keep them going. It won't. You cannot sit in neutral when it comes to reading and hearing the word. It doesn't work that way. You won't stay in neutral. You'll go backwards. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. You, you can't survive on yesterday's manna. You, you cannot live on yesterday's time in the word or last week's sermon because you'll see a diminishing return. Your tanks are always losing. You need to fill them up. And Jesus says, the more we receive God's word, the more we get of it, the more we develop this, this appetite for scripture, and the more we hunger for it. There's no neutrality with the word of God. You either respond and move from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from life to life, or you move from the negative direction to darkness to further darkness, from unbelief to more unbelief, from death to death. Jesus says, the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. And I pray that we would be a church full of those that hear the word, that hold it fast with an honest and good and sincere heart, bearing fruit day after day until Jesus comes back for us. See, the man who hears the word and does it is the true growing Christian. So we need to be careful in how we hear the word and look to grow. Pastor Mark Dever said, the way to grow is to obey what you know. All of you can memorize that, kids included. It's good. You need to tweet that. All two of you that are on Twitter. Plastered of your house. The way to grow is to obey what you know. We've been given so much. Continue to stay in the word and apply it and grow. Well, we end. I need to end. Verses 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus can't be any more emphatic here, friends. This whole passage is about hearing. And, and here he's redefining our relationships and our loyalties. 
The act of obedience of the Christian in relation to the word of God creates a different type of loyalty in life. Jesus isn't diminishing earth relationships here. He isn't hating on moms and dads. Instead, he's redirecting us to greater loyalties. And the faith that unites us to Christ obeys what he says. And, and ultimately, what unites us to other Christians is to those that have the same faith and the same obedience to God's word. And if you're hearing the word and doing what the word says, we're acting like his family. And our family is huge. The more we listen to the word of God and obey the word of God, the more we have in common with others who do the same. And we find ourselves closer to those who obey God's word than we even are to blood relatives who don't obey God's word. Faith is the most fundamental thing that unites us as Christians. Not our politics. And I need to say that again. Faith is the most fundamental thing about us as Christians. Not our politics. Not our finances. Not our careers or our race or our families or our earthly citizenship or our physical strength, or our gender, not anything earthly. The most fundamental thing that unites us as Christians is faith in Jesus Christ. And if we don't get this, the church will be destroyed. And we'll destroy it. So stop worrying about what the world's going to do. Friends, if you don't understand that the thing that brings us together is Christ, then we'll continue to be divided. So stop letting politics divide us. Stop letting your opinions about COVID divide us or masks or quarantine. We need to be united in Christ and it comes through faith in him. That's what unites us to obedience to his word. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. We have more in common with other Christians than we do with other Republicans or Democrats or whatever political affiliation you have. Faith in Christ is the most fundamental thing about us as Christians. United by faith who hear God's word and desire to obey Christ. We need to obey the word. If you're tempted to think that simply hearing is enough for the Christian life, you need to read, read Luke chapter 8. Our hearing should lead to obedience. You're not saved because of your obedience. You display your salvation through your obedience. You show you've listened to God's word by doing what he said. Right at the beginning, how do you know if I've listened to my wife at the store? I get tomatoes, lettuce, and one other item that I didn't write down. That's why she has to text it to me. I do. I, I obey the list. So, friend, how are we doing? Are we hearing the word of God? Do you listen when the word of God is read or preached? When's the last time on your own you opened up the word and fed upon it? 
You consume the word of God. Are you transformed by the word more than anything else? Jesus is teaching us something in this passage about how you hear the word of God and reveal something that's going on that's going to transpire in that final day. The final day, those who have heard the word are going to be given everything. And those who have not heard the word of God are going to have everything taken away. You realize what that happens every time the word of God is read, every time the word of God is preached. Something happens in this place or wherever the word is, is taught and read that foretells what will happen on that judgment day. Do you realize the word of God is powerful and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword and it always works? The word of God always works. It always works to do one of two things, either drawing sinners to faith in Christ and builds up saints and grace in him, or to heap up the condemnation of those who will not hear it. Two things always happen the word of God is preached every week. So I encourage you, friends, take care in how you hear the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we know we need spiritual ears to even begin to listen to your word. And that in part means knowing that we are sinners who need your grace. It means recognizing that so many things that we set our hearts and our affections on in this world are amiss and and will not last. We need to recognize that you are our only hope. And in the end, you are our greatest joy. And it's my prayer, Father, that no person in this church will get into your presence in the future and will not know those three things. And no one here in the hearing of your word would stand before the Almighty in that last day and have every last thing taken away because they refuse to listen to you. So Lord, help us to hear. Help us to read your word. Help us to be disciplined. God, help us to be patient. If we're all honest, God, we have days where we read the Bible and it doesn't seem to sink in. Help us not to run from it or to skip the next day. But help us have the strength to go back to the word. To wait on you. And you promised that you would continue to give understanding and clarity. And I pray, Father, that you would do that for us. Help us to be known as Bible people who love your word and want others to know it and to live for you. We thank you for this time. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.